Our scripture reading today is Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for, the right, for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And the whole church said, that's a tough one to say amen to, isn't it? I want to uh, thank you. Um, we are on the last Sunday of our budget discernment process all the way back from January the 3rd, I believe was the first Sunday in January, and we've been working all this time. You've been very helpful and responsive. I want to let you know where we are as of last Sunday. Thought I had updated that. We're at about $10,200, $10,200, which is pretty close to where we, we want to be. Um, I, I just need you to know that we, we won't be there if, if you don't continue your giving, not, and particularly not this Sunday. But the process of the discernment is you telling us what you're going to do for the next basically nine months. And so uh, thank you for what you've done. And again, uh, this church every time uh, steps up and I have to say thank you in advance. And I do it with great confidence. Thank you in advance for what you're going to be giving for the rest of the year. So thank you for your gifts. I, I do need to mention um, we have a young man that's part of our congregation who does a lot of things at, at school, involved in a lot of extracurricular things, but this weekend was particularly important. The Brazos Wood men's soccer team made it to the playoffs, and uh, Preston Hewitt, where is Preston? Is he up in, I thought he, okay, uh, Preston Hewitt. If you see Preston, be sure and congratulate him. They, they didn't win this weekend, but they made it to the playoffs, and we're very, very proud of him. That was great stuff. I also want to say, uh, next week would be a great week to uh, invite your friends to be here. Um, it is, again, a kind of a traditional time in the, in the year's calendar. We'll be on the Sunday after uh, Passover, therefore the Sunday that we connect with the resurrection of Jesus. If you have friends who might have questions about what went on with Garrett in the baptistry, and what is this going down into the water and coming back up about, Next week would be a great week to either invite them to come or to be uh, very uh, direct about, I'm going to send you a link, and I would encourage you to, to tune in and watch uh, online. I think that you'll be blessed by that. But before we can get to resurrection, we have to go to the cross. Amen? Without the cross, the resurrection is emptied of its power and its meaning. 
I, I am not mo really that big of a zombie apocalypse kind of guy. I don't have the, the st bumper sticker on the back. Um, if, if you have children that have nightmares, you might cover their face. I thought this one was far enough back. I didn't just zoom in on ugliness and that kind of thing. There are always some rules about zombies, yes? Now, again, not being a zombie apocalypse kind of guy, I'm sure that you'll straighten me out on some of these rules, but these are the ones that I can identify. There are always lots of them. There are always lots of them. Okay, number two, they always seem to make lots of ominous moans, but can also appear completely without warning to make you jump and scream. Yes? Those two things, you know, everywhere else they're going, and then, you know, it's totally silent, and you turn around and there's one, you know, that kind of thing. So they always move slowly, but they can always catch whoever they're after. Does anybody else have those nightmares, right? I, again, I'm not a zombie nightmare guy, but nightmares where whatever's after me, I can, I can never go fast enough to get away from it. Yes, so you got the picture. Finally, and this is maybe the most consistent rule of all, is they, were, they are always poorly dressed and have always had a really bad hair day. Somebody say amen. <laughs> What's interesting is that this story ties into our story. And I think to a certain extent, zombie ideas, the, the, the whole genre, is probably making commentary socially on people who simply live in the world to see what they can take from the world and therefore their lives are basically dead but for those of us who know the story of God and know the revelation of his book we recognize this idea of people who are living but dead or dead but somehow or another still have life flowing through them it is interesting that it is by being bitten that one enters into the living dead. But it is by taking a bite that death entered the world. I don't know if you've noticed, but we've been reading through the first 17 verses of Romans chapter 5, and I would ask you to join me at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, so death spread to all, because all have sinned. This is a really key verse in the Bible, in Romans particularly, because it has become a very empowering thing to a whole lot of different uh, theological ideas about the condition of humanity. Uh, you need to know that when they translated these verses and translated the entire New Testament from Greek into Latin, Okay, the language of the ancient Roman church for years and years, the translation kind of led to the impression that the idea was that because Adam sinned, there was a hereditary link. Adam had children, Adam's children had children, and so on. You and I are connected to that. That somehow or another, Adam's sin hereditarily connected you to his sin. What we've done is we've looked at the Greek construction much closer and the New Revised Standard, which you're looking at here, and most of the translations that you will read today will not represent it in the sense of because Adam's sin, sin has been passed on to all other people. Instead, 
the idea that is expressed very clearly here, in my opinion. And I need to just back off for a second and say there are very smart people that argue this point on both sides. This is where I stand, and I feel good about where I stand and am happy to proclaim it to you. That is to say that, yes, in a very unique sin and death entered in a very unique way, sin and death, and we'll come to more details on this, sin and death entered in the world because of what Adam did in the garden. You need to know that the word Adam, when Paul uses it here, is the generic term for humankind. He probably isn't as much talking about capital A, Adam, even though that's where the translation is, as he is talking about the humans that were placed in the garden. God made them, the humans... The Adam, he made the Adams, male and female. So we're not necessarily trying to ascribe this to a person, but to the people that were there. But just because sin and death entered into our existence, our universe, our world, whatever word you want to use there, because of the sin of humans back then... Sin comes to all of us, what did it say? The end of verse verse 12 there? Because all have sin. You and I are not related to Adam simply by biology. We are related to humankind because we too join in sin. We don't like saying amen to that, do we? Is it a truth? You need to know that the the doctrine of original sin kind of comes largely from this expression of the verse. Again, what I would say is a relatively early misunderstanding of these words. You also need to know, it's kind of interesting to talk about at this moment in time, that the idea, again, the idea of original sin would be a reason why you would baptize infants, right? Right? And that is the practice that says, I know this child is sinful from the minute they come forward from the womb, so I'm going to expose them to baptismal waters to take care of that original sin problem. Okay? It's interesting that it didn't start as a theological reason. It started as a reaction to plagues and large mass disease situations. It is thought that early, 2 to 300 A.D., that again you had places where disease would get hold, babies would be born, very obviously this baby is not going to make it because of the disease that's going on. You go to the local elder, shepherd, presbyter, the person who's in charge and say, my baby is going to die, would you please baptize? The practice then led to the And a reading of scripture that says we need to baptize infants because of original sin. Not the theology and doctrine of original sin leading to baptizing infants. That was a lot of explanation for only a few of you who have ever even thought about those arguments. But it's an important place to mention it. Let's continue with the reading. Sin was indeed in the world because before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. I'm going to come back to that one in a minute as well. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even though were those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is the type, who is a type of the one who was to come. 
that idea of type and a model and an idea, uh, an image is very important in this, in this construction. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. Now that one's a good one to say amen to. Abounded to the many, and that's you and I. Amen. And the free gift is not like the effects of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness enter dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The roots of the image expressed in this passage go back to the very first few pages of the Bible. The idea that humankind made a decision. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 9, God, we, we're told that God planted all the plants and all the trees, and particularly the, the fruit-bearing trees in the garden, and they were all good and they were all wonderful to eat, but he also put in the midst of the garden the tree of life and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This idea that there is a tree from which we can eat, that there is life, that there is something that God wants to give us that extends life and makes life fuller and blesses us even more. I love the, the sometimes somebody will write a book or there'll be a movie about the idea that they've found the, the fountain of youth, right? And they go chasing after it only to discover it's not really there. Or, of course, the great Indiana Jones, uh, the Last Crusade. And can you say it with me? He chose poorly. Yes? Okay. Something like that. But this is a very powerful image. Because as much as God placed in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God also placed in the garden the tree of life. He gave a choice, an opportunity for us to continually move towards the good things he offered. But he warned, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And one of the mistakes that we make very often is the idea that we conceive of this is somehow or another God placing something there that makes them know more things. And I realize the way that we write it, and again, the way that we construct it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, can lead us in the direction of thinking of it in terms of, I didn't know good and evil before, and now I know good and evil. There's a problem with that. Because from the minute that God says, don't eat that, and I have provided all this good, including the tree of life, we already know that there's the way of blessing and there is the way of death. In reality, what the meaning of the knowledge of good and evil is that humankind, Adam, Adam, humankind, would say, I'm going to eat this fruit and I am going to define good and evil. I'm going to step into that a little bit more in just a moment. You may have noticed a shift. When we turn the page from chapter 4 to chapter 5, there's some pretty major thematic change that take place. There's some language that we saw before 
That is the language of God's righteousness and God's wrath. And again, the picture in chapters 1 through 4 are the very much the idea that both Jew and Gentiles have made choices to step into sin, and that sin has brought about a condition where the wrath of God is being revealed, both the Jews and the Gentiles. When we turn to chapters 5 through 8, we are no longer going to see this contrast between Jew and Gentile. Chapter 4 in the message about Abraham says that all faithful people, whether they count themselves a Jew or whether they count themselves a Gentile, are all children of Abraham. Amen? And so you and I can be counted among Israel. We can be counted among those who are part of God's blessing. So when we move into chapter 5 through 8, the picture changes from the idea of you individually doing things that bring about sin and God's wrath but instead to a very cosmic, universal, world-altering kind of view. And the words that are included here are the words of living or life and to live and death and to die. They will come up over and over again. And I want you to see, again, I showed you the slide just a minute ago, that this cosmic situation that we're in started in the garden because there was a tree of life and a tree of defining what you want to define good and evil to be, which is the way God said from the very beginning that that is the way of death. And so it is that sin and death, particularly in these set, this set of chapters, is a whole lot less about well, can we make a list of things that we do wrong? And a whole lot more about a cosmic idea of power. There is such incredible misunderstanding about sin. Let's take a couple of slides to just make some definitions. First of all, particularly in this section, and I think this is a, we need to see this big picture of sin before we can understand it individually in any life. First of all, sin is the power that directly opposes God in the world, the universe. Some people will use the word the cosmos. In everything that we understand, if there is something that is opposed to Jehovah God, it is sin and death. It is, by definition, something that leads to a curse and leads to death and away from blessing. Because it is opposed to what God wants to do. Secondly, when we think about that idea of, how sin, of looking at sin in kind of that universal, cosmic kind of way, sin is the power of death in the world. What did Adam and Eve in the garden do? What did humankind do? Prior to taking from the tree that says, no, 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 I'm going to choose what is right and wrong. I will choose what is good as evil. Prior to that, we see existence as an existence without death because sin and death are completely integrated and correlated. If death exists in our world, it is because of sin. And what we have depicted, not because we have an opinion about this, but because this is what the Bible portrays, is that prior to taking from that tree and biting from that fruit, God had a beautiful perfect created world amen the cosmos changed a darkness entered you and i might call it sin 
Paul will always, when he talks about sin in these terms, talk about death. It isn't just that Adam and Eve fell over dead in the garden. It is their life with God in the unique communion that was the garden was broken and their life headed in the direction not of a continual blessing of life with God, what the Gospel of John, the writer of the Gospel of John would call eternal life. Instead, it moved in the direction of I'll do things my way and that just led to brokenness and death and what we might call sin. So when we think of sin as a power, as a cosmic force that's in play, then when we talk about the doing of sin, it maybe looks a little bit different. As we look at the entire Bible, what are the basic actions that translate, again, from the very first pages until the very end into sin and death as opposed to creation and life? First of all, it is what I've already explained, choosing to define good and evil in my terms, not God's. Anybody old enough here to remember Debbie Boone as pop singer, Pat Boone's daughter? And we loved her because she was a Christian and she was going to write music and it was going and, and she wrote this song and the line in the song was, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. Was there ever a statement that represented the culture of I'll determine what's good and evil on my earned terms more than that? I've brought this up to people before, and I have folks that want to argue that she was saying, if what I do for God, right, if, if I'm doing it for God, it can't be wrong. And, and, and maybe that's the case. But is that the way the world hears it? And the answer is no. Choosing to find good and evil on my terms, not God's. And so often it is that when we get in conversations with people about the things in our world, the broken things in our world, bottom line is they don't care what your Bible says because they've decided what's good and evil in their own mind. And that is antithetical, oppositional to the good life and creation that God wants to bring in. Secondly, we have to kind of sum it up in this idea of Choosing to turn away from God instead of turning towards Him. Have you ever heard of that word repentance? That word repentance is very simply turning. My life is heading in one direction and I want it to go in another direction. And when we choose to turn away from God, then we are choosing to step into sin and death. This is a powerful idea that we can basically get into all kinds of arguments with people about whether this particular or that particular is right or wrong. And the biggest question of all is, am I headed towards God with this? And oftentimes there are going to be some good answers to that. I decided to murder my neighbor because it was convenient for me today. Can, can I make an argument that that is still turning towards God? And the answer will always be no. But when I talk about things that have small and fine minutiae, can I pay the lottery or not? I know that might be one that you don't want me to talk about. Can I have a tattoo or not? Can I pick your lots of things you could argue about? And the question is, am I choosing to turn away from God in doing those things? 
or is my life continuing to be on a track that moves towards him? I hope those pictures kind of help us capture the idea, and particularly the idea that as much as we want to somehow or another separate ourselves from sin and say, that's something that doesn't have anything to do with me, and join with the people who in 1 John said, I have no sin. Yes, you are forgiven. But I confess that I don't always make decisions that are in keeping with what God wants. And my life is not always about turning towards him in everything that I do. And therefore, sin has a part in my life. But it is not the last word. Somebody say? I want to affirm three ideas from this passage very quickly and then we close out. First of all, Jesus died for my sins, your sins our sins, and I just want you to get this last line, all sin. Say it with me. My sins, your sins, our sins, and big one, all sin, not plural. Because what Jesus did on the cross, according to what Paul is saying here, is, this, is a path that got set in motion by humankind in the garden and bringing in the brokenness of sin and death and that sin and death has had reign until this time is broken by what took place through Jesus Christ on the cross. It isn't just the idea that Jesus died for my sins and isn't that sweet. It is a powerful thing. But more than that, Jesus broke the power of sin and darkness and death. And we're not there yet. But there's going to be a day when the last, final, and full word of Jesus comes back. And it's going to be called recreation. And it's going to be all the way that he always intended it to be. And I'm looking forward to that day. If you sit here today with the idea that somehow or another you can separate yourself from what takes place on the cross because you're a good person then you've probably missed what's going on. Because what takes place on the cross is the seminal thing that gives you hope that God will conquer. We sang a song to start the service, Behold, Behold Our King. And what's powerful about the Gospels is that the picture of Jesus as king is not culminated in some sort of throne room and some sort of beautiful palace and all those kinds. It's culminated on the cross. That's where he's proclaimed king. That's what the sign says above him. That's what, here's the interesting part, that's what the soldier at the foot of the cross said. Surely, son of God. Second idea, although Adam's sin brought death into the world, sin doesn't continue because we're somehow or other hereditarily connected to Adam. Sin continues because we all sin. As soon as you want to blame some political party or blame some group of people for what breaks our world, you have failed to see God pick God's picture of what breaks the world. My sin is what breaks the world. 
And as long as my life does not become transformed into what God wants, that brokenness continues and expands. Adam's sin brought death. My sin continues to make the world a broken place. But there's a bigger word here. Did you hear it? I encourage you to go home and read. Each translation will be a little bit different. The ESV is probably the most stark. In fact, it almost doesn't read well in English because it just, every once in a while, it stops and says, much more death, much more life. Adam, much more Jesus. Sin, much more forgiveness. Whether it's Jesus is greater than Adam or life is better than death. These are the terms that we get to choose to live under. We are either people who live in this kind of defeated pattern of, oh, every day I've got to ask one more time for forgiveness. Or we live in a pattern that says what God has accomplished for me through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus, defeats anything that Satan wants to do in my life. Amen? That the power of the Spirit will always be powerful, more powerful than death in my life. I want to go back to these closing words. These are the closing words from chapter 4 from last week's sermon. Now the words it was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but for, also, but for ours also. It will be counted or reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the death from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. You ever live in tension? Just the idea that, that something's true, but it's not yet finished yet. Anybody own a house? I'll bet there's very few of you that actually own it. Because what you do is you're, you're thinking of the day that if you keep making your payments, you'll owe it. You'll own it. There was a moment in time when all was dark. And Jesus breathed his last on the cross. And Satan thought that he had finally entered into his ultimate reign of death and brokenness. But that was not the end of the story. You have the opportunity today to say, I want to be part of the life. I want to be part of the recreation that God wants to do. I want to be part, like Derek, of saying I want to put the old things to death and bring the new things into reality. You have that opportunity every single day. He was handed over to death for our sin. And I want to live in response to that by letting the Spirit transform me every step of the way. I don't want to take any kind of cheap shortcuts. Oh, it's okay. God forgave me. No big deal. Because my sin put him there. And I want to make my life about defining good and evil the way he does 
and about choosing to consistently turn to him. Do you need to turn to him today? If you're here and you'd like the prayers of the church to help you in that process, you can come forward. If you're online and would like to start that conversation, you can you see the number there, 979-217-3300. And we would love to enter into that conversation because God has life. It is much more than the death that Satan wants to give and share. Won't you come? With everything that you are, to the one who went to the cross to bear your, my, our, all sin. Let's all be standing. Is there